0: This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Regardless of your residency program year, the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Platform developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons is right for you. Free to residents, Rock is an online learning program that covers 11 subspecialty areas with content that's being authored and curated by some of the leading names in orthopedics. And residents can access content for free at rock.aos.org. Get started today. Bienvenidos, bienvenidos, bienvenidos a un otro episodio del podcast Nailed It Ortho. We are continuing our board review series or OIT review series for those of you that are not fifth-year residents that are about to take the exam. And we've been talking about some hand, and we're going to continue to talk about some hand. But if you have not already, Subscribe to the channel. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Nailed It Ortho, and enjoy the episode. We're going to continue to talk some kind of hand trauma. We're going to talk a little bit about thumb injuries this time. We're going to talk about some UCL injuries, some fractures. So let's go ahead and hop into today's episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole.
1: In a a different patient where, unfortunately, they do get some sort of volar dislocation of the PIP, what injury may happen and what position do you want the PIP to heal in?
0: Yeah, so again, just like you just said, with these volar PIP dislocations, you may have an injury to the central slip. And remember, we talked about that a little bit earlier. The central slip goes and attaches it to the base of P2, and then you have the lateral bands which attaches to the distal fangs or P3. So again, so these volar PIP dislocations, you can have a central slip injury, which you want the position when you're healing to be in extension. Because again, those central slips, if they heal, if the central slip is injured and the PIP stays flexed, you can have that boutonniere deformity where you have flexion of the PIP. So you want to treat these with PIP joint extension. So you treat these with an extension splint likely to be the answer on the test. Now, what is the treatment of a stable PIP? What is the treatment of a stable PIP dorsal fracture dislocation with a middle phalanx, ticular surface
1: is involved? Again, you want to do a dorsal extension block splint. So if they f- fail dorsally, you flex the digit it's going to want to fail dorsally again, so you're going to put them in a ex- dorsal extension blocking splint. And then to treat the unstable fracture at the articular surface, you can treat it via either ORIF with a couple of small little teeny tiny screws or a small plate or a pinning. And then if it's more of a like larger volar shear type injury, You can do a hemi-hamate arthroplasty, which I never saw, but I read about. It seems to be a very reliable procedure to recreate that volar buttress. And then you can also do a volar plate arthroplasty, which basically all that is you pull the volar plate into the fracture of that volar shear and you tie it down to bone so that the joint can still be concentric and does not want to dislocate dorsally, but you do have to release and bring the volar plate into the joint itself for that to happen. And then what's a mallet finger and treatment for those?
0: Yeah. So for a mallet finger, this is when you have injury to the dorsal distal phalanx. Some people call this like a baseball finger. And this can be due to extensor tendon injury, or it can also be due to an actual fracture itself. Now, patients present is that they can have an extensor lag in a deformity so like they're they try to extend but the finger is lagging it's not extending all the way and so you treat this with splinting so you want to treat this in something that keeps the dip joint extended and so what are some patients that have these mouth fingers you see them playing baseball your finger gets you get hit with a baseball you try to catch and it jabs your finger What are some operative indications for a mouth, finger? Like, what are we actually going to fix these?
1: The indications for fixing these sort of injuries, one is distal phalanx subluxation. Obviously, you don't want to leave a joint that is non-concentric. If the articular fragment is greater than 40%, it most likely means that the fracture is unstable and that they will eventually sublux or dislocate. And then... It's debated, but if the articular gap is greater than two millimeters, then you can also make the argument that the joint will be unstable and will require some sort of fixation. And so the treatment options, you can do an ORAF, you can do a, a dorsal blocking CRPP where you actually, because of this dorsal fragment that comes free from the distal phalanx, rather than trying to pin that individual fragment itself to the distal phalanx, which you're probably dealing with a very tiny piece of bone, you just do a blocking K-wire into the middle phalanx, which prevents further proximal propagation of the fragment and uh, keeps it in close proximity to the distal phalanx so that it can heal by secondary intention. You can do a suture repair if it's more of a tendon only injury. You can do a tendon graft. And then for the late presenters, like the six-month, nine-month-out people who have a persistent flexion contracture because they lost their extensor mechanism to their distal failings, those are the ones where you're going to be talking about a, a DIP fusion versus an amputation for them. Now we're going a little bit into the PEDS world. What is an epiphyseal injury (laughs) to the distal phalanx in a pediatric patient?
0: Yeah, so this is going to be a Seymour fracture. And and you got to be careful because these can actually be open fractures, right? So you have the bone that breaks off and actually injures the uh, nail matrix and possibly the nail plate as well. And so for these, you actually treat these with the irrigation debridement and you reduce these fractures because they're associated with an infection. Obviously, if you have a missed open fracture, it can be associated with an infection. So you want to make sure you treat those appropriately. So again, pediatric epiphyseal distal phalanx injury is going to be a Seymour fracture. Moving forward to the thumb a little bit, what is a Bennett fracture and the deforming forces seen in this fracture?
1: Yeah, these thumb injuries always eluded me, partially because I never really had the patience to sit down and separate them in my mind, but <laughs> like a Bennett and a Rolando and a Stener lesion and this and that and whatever, but regardless, we'll cover them here. So a Bennett fracture is a fracture of the base of the first metacarpal. And there's several different structures that attach to the fracture fragments. So, the volar oblique ligament, which is testable, stays attached to the volar ulnar fragment of the metacarpal base fracture. And will keep the, that's like the constant fragment because the volar oblique ligament stays there and it keeps that volar ulnar fragment in place. And then you have the abductor pollicis longus and the adductor pollicis that act on the shaft of the metacarpal that will displace the metacarpal proximally and adduct it compared to the constant volar ulnar fragment that's held by the volar oblique ligament. Again, three major structures. The volar oblique ligament keeps the smaller volar ulnar fragment constant while the abductor pollicis longus displaces the metacarpal proximally, and the adductor pollicis adducts the metacarpal in relation to the fuller ulnar fragment. And so what is the treatment of choice typically for a Bennett fracture? Yeah, you're
0: going to fix these, you No, know, you're going to either pin it or fix it some other form of fixation with the plate, for example. And yeah, I think I got it. I was doing some questions the other day, some hand questions, after I finished these notes to see if I learned anything. And yeah, so that that was one of the questions actually on there. It was talking about that fellow oblique ligament. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. If you're an orthopedic resident, it's time to start building the foundation to be prepared for the OITE and ABOS part one exam. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leaders in the field to bring you the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program. ROCK is an all in one online learning platform covering 11 subspecialties. You can access the content for free at ROCK.AAOS.org. This platform delivers a comprehensive, structured, standardized curriculum and even includes self assessment quizzes and performance analytics. And remember residents never pay to access ROCK content. Get started today at rock.aaos.org. What is a Rolando fracture?
1: It's just a name. (laughs) No. (laughs) A Rolando fracture is really just a more comminuted base of the thumb fracture compared to a Bennett, where a Bennett typically just has that one volar ulnar fragment but a Rolando has either a Y or a T shape complete intraarticular fracture that will. I mean, there's a good diagram on orthoblos that I'm looking at right now where it's still intraarticular, just like a Bennett, but it's just more comminuted. That's the best way to describe it. And let's say you do have a first metacarpal base fracture, what's the typical closed reduction maneuver?
0: Yeah, so when you're reducing these and you try to reduce it and put a, put like a thumb spike a split on or something, <laughs> maneuver is gonna be traction, pronation, and external rotation. <laughs> I remember we were going through this one day because one of our juniors is gonna go splint one of these bedded fractures and we we're talking about, all right, this is the position you wanna split it in. And we we're like, yeah, it's gonna be a little traction. They're gonna pronate and externally rotate. And he was like, oh, okay. Just like you're going to choke somebody. I was like,
1: <laughs> 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 he was like, yeah, that's the position if you want to choke somebody. And I was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think they need to go talk to somebody. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, man. But uh, anyways, moving forth, where's the thumb UCL inserts and attached to? Ulnar collateral um, ligament.
1: Yeah, the thumb ulnar collateral ligament. Inserts on the metacarpal head, which is more dorsal to the base of the proximal phalanx, which is more volar. And then you have the accessory ulnar collateral ligament, which is more superficial. And so the ulnar collateral ligament is a MCP ligament, not a base of the thumb ligament. So that's one thing to keep in mind. We just talked about the base of the metacarpal fractures, but the thumb UCL or the ulnar collateral ligament is a MCP ligament, not a base ligament. You hear about these different thumb injuries, a skier's thumb and a gamekeeper's thumb. What's the difference between those two?
0: Yeah. So a skier's thumb is when you have acute UCL disruption. And again, this is just a little bit more common to rupture off of the proximal phalanx. So when you have acute UCL UCL disruption, that's going to be called a skier's thumb. And it's most common to disrupt the proximal phalanx versus a chronic UCL, like attenuation. That's what we call a gamekeeper sum. And I think Drew Brees had a a UCL injury as well. Now I'm thinking about the Saints quarterback a couple of years ago. I think it was an acute one that he got fixed. I forget where, but I think this is if you just Google UCL and Drew Brees, it'll pop up. So this is not HIPAA or anything. It's it's (laughs) is
1: public knowledge.
0: (laughs) And in the fourth, what is a stener lesion?
1: So a stener lesion would be an avulsed. The avulsed ligament is above the adductor aponeurosis. Now there's an interposed structure that's going to prevent healing of the UCL. And they are typically bony related, that a, a bony fragment of the UCL attachment, because the thumb gets deformed, so much that it will actually pull the ligament and that bony fragment through the adductor aponeurosis. And there's, it's like a one-way valve. It got pulled through, but it won't push back through. so these typically need surgery done, but not all UCL ligaments need surgery, which ones can be treated non-surgically.
0: Yeah. Partial tears or tears with a firm endpoint. Always you can splint for about six weeks and send a physical therapy. But one of the things to know is when you're actually testing for these endpoints, you want to test through the true thumb UCL ligament, which is tested at 30 degrees of flexion. And we do various valgus force. And I remember when we were in clinic one day and I was trying to text our, I think we had a patient where thought had a UCL injury. My attorney was like, yeah, just see if they have a firm endpoint or not. and, And we can either sign it up or not sign it up. And I was like, dude, I don't know. I don't know how to feel like a thumb. (laughs) <laughs> for a firm endpoint, like most experienced person here, I guess I could try, but I don't want to make this decision. <laughs> yep, exactly. Oh no, man, but I guess with that, you just had to do a lot of them, so that you'll know what a firm endpoint versus a not firm endpoint of a thumb UCL is, and which thumb UCL injuries are actually going to be indicated for operative treatment. We just said not nah, nah, partial tears with a firm endpoint. Which ones are you going to fix?
1: The complete tears or the vulsion fractures, such as that stentor lesion I was talking about, where the adductor aponeurosis gets interposed between the bone and, or the two bony fragments that detach from one another. And then, yeah, like you said, with the no endpoint, you can always, the good news, I guess this is not universal throughout the population, but most people have two thumbs, and you can always test their uninjured thumb to compare them to their injured side to see if this is a true endpoint, a false endpoint, if it's lax or if it's not to make that kind of distinction. And treatment options vary. Just like any other ligament reconstruction that if it's possible to repair it primarily, then go ahead and do it. If not, then you would have to reconstruct it with some sort of internal brace, suture anchors, fiber wire, that sort of stuff. And then also tendon transfers or advancement to help provide stability to that owner side of the uh, MCP joint. And then for the older patients or ones who have failed previous repairs or are chronically subluxed or have arthritis, you can always perform an arthrodesis of those. And I don't want to be quoted on this, but I do think that you arthrodesis those patients in that kind of 30 degree flexion range, because that's What's easiest for people to grasp things is with the thumb already in that 30 degree inflection range. And what about the radial collateral ligament? What's the treatment for those?
0: Yeah, it's going to be mostly non-op. There's no aponeurosis to uh, prevent the healing. I think I saw a couple of questions talking about the aponeurosis with those UCL injuries. And then in some select cases, you can treat them, obviously, There's like chronic instability of the RCL. Hello, everybody and thank you for listening to that episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you're learning some things. That is our goal for all of these series. It's just for you to learn some stuff. We learn some stuff talking to each other, and hopefully you all learned some stuff from listening to us talk to each other. <laughs> so if you have not already hit the subscribe button, please go and leave us a review. That would help us out a bunch, and I will see you all next time.